Welcome to GW Integrative Medicine, the podcast about disease prevention and health promotion from the Office of Integrative Medicine and Health at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences. I'm Dr. Lee Frame, Director of the Integrative Medicine Programs here at GW. And I'm Janet Rodriguez, the Office's Administrative Director. Today, we're talking about empathy, chronic conditions, and more with Megan Beyer, PhD, MA, a part-time assistant professor of physical medicine and rehabilitation at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Dr. Beyer specializes in cognitive rehabilitation, neuropsychological assessment and intervention, and multiple sclerosis. She helps individuals improve memory and emotional symptoms through psychotherapy interventions. Dr. Beyer is also the founder of Find Empathy which is an online directory and educational platform that helps connect people with challenging medical conditions to therapists who understand their diagnosis. Welcome to GW Integrative Medicine, Megan. I'm so excited to be here. We are so excited to have you. (laughs) We're really pleased to have you. Um, So I guess we could just dive right in because I know I wasn't really familiar with this terminology before, but what does a rehabilitation psychologist do and how did you get into that field? What attracted you to it? Yeah, that's a really interesting, um, I guess, uh, tangent here is that, I, you know, I started pre-grad school. Uh, I, I knew I wanted to do psychology, but I wasn't quite sure where I wanted to go. And so I worked for a year as a direct care worker in a place called Bancroft NeuroHealth in New Jersey, um, where I helped people living with serious traumatic brain injuries um, take their medications, live independently in apartments, take them to doctor's appointments. And I just really loved that work. I um, fell in love with it, but I couldn't pay my bills doing that. Mm. So I just, <laughs> yeah, I decided to go back to grad school. And I thought, well, I liked this neuro part, you know, of brain injury. So maybe I'll be a neuropsychologist. So I found a health psychology grad program that had a neuropsychology minor, and I got into that. And what I realized is that a lot of neuropsychologists, I won't say that this is true across the board, but they really just do assessments and then they they kind of recommend uh the person moving on to other people to do the intervention. And so I missed wanting to actually work one-on-one with people. And what I found was that rehabilitation psychology is this nice merging of uh, working with people that have medical conditions, but actually helping them reintegrate into life. And so um, a rehabilitation psychologist is a psychologist that specializes in working with people that live with a chronic illness or disability. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I, I totally understand that path. That makes a lot of sense. You're like, we, I, I wanted to help people. I want to be working with people and, and getting to help them in this way. Uh, what does a regular day look like for you? <laughs> um, well, it's a little all over the place right now because I'm wearing many hats. But I would say in my clinical work, I do a little bit of everything. Um, so I might Uh, start the day off with somebody who is coming in with um, cognitive concerns. I mostly work with multiple sclerosis at this point. So, you know, an individual who maybe talked to the neurologist and the neurologist said uh, they told them they were having concerns about their memory or their cognitive functioning. So I would dive into that. Um, I do, uh, you know, a more in-depth clinical interview to find out all of the potential things that are impacting their cognition 
above and beyond multiple sclerosis. Uh, so that might look like, you know, um, what does their sleep look like? Do they have any ongoing chronic pain? Um, what kinds of medications are they taking uh, that might be impacting their cognition? Um, we might do uh, a two-hour. I typically do short batteries because it's more clinical focused, not necessarily um, something that a, a traditional neuropsychologist would do, but about a you know ninety-minute to two-hour cognitive assessment to find out you know what exactly is happening. But I also do psychotherapy. So many times I use what I found in that initial interview and kind of getting to know the person to really inform what kind of care is going to happen moving forward. Um, so that might look like, you know, changing some of their day-to-day -day behavior habits. So we might focus on sleep or managing pain, um, but it might look more like a manage, uh, managing emotional concerns um, because we know that anxiety and depression impacts cognition as well. Uh, so it might be more traditional psychotherapy. And a lot of it is uh, partnering with the medical team, um, other rehab professionals. Uh, so it's a lot of interacting with the team surrounding the patient as well. So that's kind of a typical clinical day for me. That's very helpful. Thank you. And that uh, definitely feels very integrative to me. We've got the team-based medicine. There's clearly a very strong patient-provider relationship. And you're really doing kind of a whole-person care approach because you're, you're dealing with their emotional well-being, their mental well-being, and I'm going to guess even a little bit of their physical well-being. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've, I've had to learn a lot of what the uh, physical therapists do, what the physicians do, um, op occupational therapy, uh, because, you know, I think that that plays a big role in people's emotions, too. If they're afraid of falling, um, mm -hmm. then we have to address that. We have to know kind of what, uh, you know, what are the skills out there? What ways can we help somebody either regain uh, more strength or um, more balance, or you know, how do we address that fear through other means? So, yeah, there is a lot to do with understanding the physical side of things as well. Well, I am, and uh, I wouldn't wish any condition on anybody, but I am envious that um, that this specialty exists now. When, you know, uh, I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2002, and this would have been incredibly helpful yeah. <laughs> to have somebody like you around. Okay, so um, what's the story behind Find Empathy? Well, you know, very similar to what you just shared, um, I was hearing from a lot of people if they if they finally made their way to my clinic or you know to my room they would say I didn't even know that somebody like you existed mm. and um I actually had a conversation with somebody recently um who runs a an online business for individuals with chronic illness um and she said you know I've been doing this work for more than 10 years and I didn't even know that there were psychologists like you out there and there's not just psychologists there's um social workers and masters level therapists and counselors who who do this work as well and I think one of my goals was to help patients, families, and even medical providers, because I think sometimes physicians don't even know that we exist, um, realize that there are people like us out there and then uh, have a place for them to find us. So I started 
off uh, Find Empathy just as an online website, a directory to try and start listing people who do this kind of work so that people can find us. Um, But then it kind of morphed because I do a lot of work also with community organizations and um, I really like being a consultant and speaker for patient organizations and advocacy boards. So one of them actually said to me, you know, Megan, um, we have trouble finding people like you. What if you were to do something like education to help um, more therapists who are seeing people in the community learn about how to work with people that have chronic medical conditions or, you know, a, a disability and or even an acute medical condition, right? There are people who are coming out of the ICU with um, medical trauma. And so, you know, how teaching those people in the community who are doing the work or seeing people coming out of hospitals, how to more effectively work with their medical condition as well. So that kind of got me started on doing community or continuing education. So um, I went down that pathway as well. So I'm just trying to really connect the dots between what people need and um, the medical system and then helping mental health providers be a bridge between those two things. Well, um, I love the website uh, and I suggest um, that our listeners go and check it out. And just thank you for coming up with this brilliant idea. <laughs> thank you very much. I mean, I really, I really hope that um, it helps. Uh, you know, I've I have heard a lot of excitement from uh, patients who are saying, you know, this is a great resource for us. So I, I'm really humbled by that, and I, I hope it continues to grow so that it is a resource for more people. So what about other healthcare providers? Is this a resource that they could be utilizing to better assist their patients? Absolutely. You know, um, there's a couple of organizations that we're starting to work with now uh, that have, and MS is my world, so that's where I started, you know, so Consortium of MS Centers and the National MS Society who are using um, Find Empathy as a resource, um, putting it up as a way for physicians, neurologists, nursing staff uh, to be able to find mental health providers. So I hope to keep growing that list. It's free to be on the website. So any mental health provider who wants to be on there can be on there completely for free, no no catch. Um, really, it's, it's a resource for uh, patients, um, family members, and medical providers. Wonderful. So hopefully all of you listening out there, if this is your space at all, we'll, we'll be reaching out to get listed. Absolutely. I would love that. So you chose the name Find Empathy. Um, Obviously, empathy is part of the work that you do. Can you tell us more about that and maybe the science behind using empathy in this field? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I think, you know, one, I I really love Brene Brown's work. And one of the things that (laughs) she's great. Um, So one of the things that I've heard her say, and that's kind of stuck in the back of my mind, is that Empathy fuels connection. Um, And we know that empathy, uh, it comes from a German word that means emotional knowing. And, you know, in one research article that I read um, about empathy, it kind of described it as an emotional bridge. 
And kind of with all of those things in mind, one of the things that I kept hearing from many of the patients that I was working with was that they felt really disconnected because of their medical disease or condition. They felt misunderstood. Um, They didn't feel like family, friends, society at large really understood what they were going through. And often if they saw a community mental health provider, and I won't say this is true across the board, but some of the people that I was working with said, you know, if they saw a community mental health provider, they also didn't always feel understood. Um, They felt like they were having to explain their medical condition. They were having to educate the therapist and that was taking Mm. up valuable time, resource, and energy. And so, um, you know, I think one person I talked to recently described it as, you know, they had to, you know, be the source of information and then the filter thereafter so that everything, they had to keep correcting the therapist. And one thing I hear about a lot is fatigue. And, you know, um, sometimes uh, if you're a traditional mental health provider, you think of fatigue as maybe a symptom of depression and we want to get behaviorally activated, but we're not taking into account how fatigue might be being driven by a medical condition. Like Um, you know, treatment for breast cancer, chemo, or by something like a neurologic condition like Parkinson's or chronic fatigue syndrome. And so, you know, really kind of understanding the medical side of it is important in order to give good therapeutic advice as a mental health provider. So I kind of picked empathy um, because I wanted um, patients to feel understood. And I also wanted Um, the therapists who are working with them to kind of have that emotional knowing. So so they're the emotional bridge, um, but they also know about the medical condition. So that was sort of all of the thinking behind uh, that, that name. That's wonderful. And I think it further helps us understand the importance of someone like you, because spending very valuable therapy time explaining the fundamentals of your diagnosis is not really what you want to be doing as a patient who's there for uh, psychological help. Right, exactly. Yeah, you want to get to the meat of the issue, not have to try and explain why, you know, my fatigue is not depression related. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're also an active multiple sclerosis researcher. What is your focus? Yeah, so um, most of my research is on cognitive and emotional symptoms. But I will say that the majority of the research that I've done has really been fueled by this passion that I have to make our assessments and our treatment more accessible. Um, You know, I think even from my postdoc and grad school, I felt like a lot of what we were doing in the academic world wasn't making it past the walls of academia or very rarely Mm -hmm. or only to a select group of individuals. And so um, I really tried to focus a lot of my research on ways to make things that we are doing more accessible, more efficient, easier. Um, And since I was doing work with people with multiple sclerosis, one of those things was screening for cognition. Um, So I think it was in 2018, I was part of a group with the National MS Society where we put into guidelines that individuals, every individual with MS should be screened for cognitive dysfunction at least once per year. Um, Prior to that, there were no guidelines about that. And so very few individuals were really getting screened and it's a huge part of living with multiple sclerosis. Um, but the fact that of the is matter- That is so shocking that, yeah. that it didn't exist. Yeah. It's yeah, just I, one I, of those, those blind, um, blind spots. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. And I know I think a lot of people were saying, this is a huge problem for me. I'm losing my job because of it, or my, you know, my relationships are being impacted and it just wasn't being addressed. Um, and some of it I think was because, you know, there, there's not a lot of, you know, outside of major medical systems, it's hard to find people that do interventions for cognition. I think that's changing, especially with the advent of more telemedicine work. But, you know, people just weren't getting screened and screening took time. It wasn't efficient. So um, in my postdoctoral fellowship, we created an app to take one of the recommended standard screenings called the BICAMS and turn it into an app so that anybody could pick it up and administer the screening. The challenge there was that um, all of these different tests that were in this recommended screening are all copyright protected by different companies. So um, mm. <laughs> trying to get all fun. of yeah, yeah. So trying to make that happen um, in the real world and get all of these different companies to agree for it to be a part of one app was fine for the study, but not so fine afterwards. So. Um, we've been uh, working with some a, a group out of Harvard uh, called the Many Brains Project, and they have something called the Test My Brain website. Um, and all of that's open access and free. And so we've sort of compared that recommended screening, the BICAMS, to a comparable online assessment that they have freely available. And we found, you know, um, at least in our pilot study, that there was really no significant difference. So yeah, a lot of the work I'm doing is really trying to figure out how can we make all of this more accessible so that people all over the country, all over the world can get these screenings um, and interventions more effectively. Wow. So access is obviously really important. But one of the things that I always think about when I think about cognitive assessments is the time that it takes to go Mm -hmm. through those assessments. Is that something you're also working on? Yeah. You know, um, so I, I, so in the MS world, we've boiled it down to that. There is the, what's called the symbol digit modalities test, the SDMT, which is 90 seconds to administer. Um, but you know, it's interesting because even some of the neurology teams that I've talked to said even 90 seconds is too long. Cause when you do 90 seconds plus having to score it, plus having to put it into the chart, it's really like five minutes. Um, mm. so five minutes out of a, you know, 15 to 20 minute, um, visit is still a long time. So, uh, we, I actually worked with another colleague who, uh, shortened that test to 30 seconds and found that the 30 seconds of the SDMT is still a good screener. Um, but you know, one of the things with the test my brain platform is that it's all administered online and doesn't necessarily need to have somebody there. So Mm, it's something mm -hmm. that could be sent a link that could be sent home, um, that somebody could do at home. Now, I mean, there's always barriers, right? Because there are many people who don't necessarily have access to computers or a smartphone. And so we have to think about that as well. But at least for those that do have access to that technology, it might be one way for them to get that assessment outside of the office and then have, you know, talk to the physicians about that when they get to the office. Yeah, absolutely. And, and perhaps maybe for those people that don't have access at home, having a, a station in the clinic where they could complete it prior to meeting with their visit so it's not taking up visit time. 
Yeah, exactly. There's a there's a neurologist in New York um, on Long, Long Island who that's exactly what he does. He has a few computers set up in his clinic and he just brings people in early for their appointments and then sits them down and has them do it in the office. Um, and, you know, he's he he's very passionate about the importance of all of this. And I also think that he's doing a lot of good work tracking people's um their progress in the the MS progression because of that, um, and not just with walking measures, but also cognitive measures. And he's catching things earlier than I think a lot of people in the general community. Wonderful. It's such a message of hope and promise. And this is what we want to hear when we're doing research, right? We're actually going to uh, affect change. It's not just like you're saying, to stay within the walls of academia. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So what else are you, what else is in the pipeline in terms of research or even, you know, clinical care? What are you looking forward to seeing in the future? Yeah, you know, um, I've really loved seeing um, a lot more push for accessibility in treatment, uh, in treatment, uh, at least where I am at Hopkins. Um, I have some colleagues who are doing virtual group-based therapy um, using DBT strategies with people with chronic illness and their caregivers. Um, Our department is doing some precision medicine work where they're trying to track people at home. Um, So sending, uh, you know, intermittent surveys as well as, you know, um, providing uh, smartwatches so that they can see people's movement before and after surgery, you know, those kinds of things so that we're kind of breaking down the walls and really able to catch people earlier before and, you know, there's more progression or more decline or seeing when people maybe need to be brought back in for more rehab, you know, if after surgery, people are not as mobile as they were before, something like that. Uh, so all of these kinds of initiatives that I'm seeing both within Hopkins and around the country are really exciting for me. Um, you know, really my main passion is that I think, you know, we need to be those of us who do this work um, need to be more accessible to everyone in the country, not just those who can access an academic medical center. Well, amen to that. And I'm sure Fine Empathy will help as well, just getting people aware. And hopefully this podcast will help as well with awareness um, and people will get the care that they need. What about tips for healthcare providers? One one last little soundbite. If you have our healthcare provider out there who maybe has never heard of this and but but works with patients who have chronic diseases, what's the one thing they can do to really assist their patients? I think it's being there with them and not rushing to fix the problem. So I think it's sometimes just sitting in the emotion with somebody. Um, so I'm th- I'm thinking of a visit that I just had recently with a patient that got some bad news. And when she shared her immediate reaction, which was really frustration, sadness, grief, um, the, the, the medical provider that she was working with immediately jumped to another solution. And she, she, she reacted to that because she was like, that's not really the solution that I wanted. I just needed somebody to hear me out. Um, and so I think for me, one of the things that I really keep in mind when I'm working with people is this sort of dialectic that sometimes we just need to sit and really empathize, really hear where somebody's at. And once they feel heard and understood, then we can shift our thinking to what's the next step? 
how do we problem solve this? You know, how can we help you to be um, more integrated in the life that you want? But we really need to also, the person needs to feel understood before we can do that. Well, that seems like the perfect end note for our talk. It is all the time we have for today. Megan, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. You can come back anytime. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you. This is the GW Integrative Medicine Podcast from the GW Office of Integrative Medicine and Health. I'm Dr. Lee Frame. And I'm Janet Rodriguez. Thanks for listening. The Office of Integrative Medicine and Health produces the GW Integrative Medicine Podcast with funds from your donations. Your generosity allows us to raise awareness of the benefits of integrating whole person care, including evidence-based complementary therapies, into healthcare broadly. Help us continue to grow the podcast by making a tax-deductible donation on our website, smhs.gwu.edu slash OIMH. Click the Give Now button while you're there. Sign up for our free monthly newsletter for even more evidence-based content, including free webinars.